You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Blake Matthews, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear from our WICB's news correspondent, Carolyn Grass, as she learns more about harmful algae blooms, or HABs, in the first part of a two-part series, learning more about the environment in the Ithaca area. But first, we have Sarah Payne and Leah McDermott with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. Yesterday, the Tompkins County's Sheriff's Office corrected their report of the weapons incident that occurred at the Cayuga Medical Center on Tuesday evening. Original reports made it seem as if the man, 40-year-old Java Abdur Zak, entered the hospital with a gun. But the revision stated that with a review of security footage, the gun dropped out of Dervisak's pocket to the ground in the entrance vestibule. The man then entered the hospital, leaving the gun where it fell. The emergency department then notified law enforcement and security already at the hospital of the situation. Of the arrest, Sheriff Derek Osborne said in a statement, the person was isolated, patients were removed from the waiting area, and the weapon was secured without incident. The two counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree that Durvisak was charged with still remains. At a press conference Wednesday, Tompkins Cortland Community College announced that they had received $150,000 to fund their micro-credential curriculum in allied healthcare fields in hopes that it can help to provide a wide array of employment training and other opportunities in the healthcare industry. An arrest for last Saturday afternoon's motor vehicle theft incident was made according to Cornell Police. The theft occurred at the Hasbrook apartment parking lot. The suspect was charged with grand larceny in the third degree, felony possession of stolen property in the third degree, both Class D felonies, and a Class A misdemeanor of unauthorized use of a vehicle in the third degree. The suspect is still anonymous. The second meeting of the Special Reimaging Public Safety Committee saw the acting Ithaca Police Chief John Jolie and Tompkins County District Attorney Matt Van Houten voice their concerns for the proposed plan to restructure the Ithaca Police Department as the Ithaca Division of Police, specifically about how unarmed officers would be trained to handle different situations. If passed, the Division of Police would fall under the proposed Department of Community Safety, which would be led by an everyday citizen and would include five unarmed community solutions workers. Tomorrow, road work on Hector Street will begin. The road work will occur from 100 to the 1,000 block of Hector Street and Floral Ave to Warren Place on Route 79. As for traffic, during this time at the work zones, the road will be reduced to a single lane. The construction features pavement repairs. There will be no detours, but there will likely to be delays until the project ends on the 30th of this month. Applications to receive funding from the Tompkins County Recovery Fund opened this past week. The Recovery Fund, which totals $6.5 million. The goal of the fund is to help businesses who have been most impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic get back on their feet. Currently, the fund is open to small businesses and government entities until October 31st. For Community Beat, I'm Leah McDermott. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. The Tompkins County Ethics Advisory Board will soon release information about its investigation into an ethics complaint levied against the reimagining public safety process and former Mayor Savante Myrick. According to the Ithaca Voice, the complaint was made by First Ward Councilor Cynthia Brock, who has become a vocal critic of the reimagining public safety process. The board requested answers to various questions 
from multiple interested parties, including Myrick, and the co-leads of the Reimagining Public Safety Process Working Group, Karen Yearwood and Eric Rosario. The board is waiting on one more response from the Center for Policing Equity, a group which provided support for the reimagining process. The release of the information is part of a desire by the board to remain transparent and avoid appearing to hide information from the public. Brock's complaint levied broad accusations of ethics violations and third-party influence over the process, including payments made to board members. These payments came without approval from the Common Council. Brock argues this could make the board's conclusion biased. Brock also accused Myrick of soliciting the payments from the third parties, an allegation that Myrick denies. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo has filed a complaint against Attorney General Letitia James with the State Supreme Court's Attorney Grievance Committee. According to NPR, Cuomo claims that James's investigation into allegations of sexual harassment against the former governor omitted crucial evidence failed to appoint independent investigators, and manipulated the investigation for political gain. The investigation by James found that Cuomo had harassed 11 women. However, Cuomo claims James ignored allegations that one of the accusers had made false harassment allegations while in college, and that his physical contact was not gender-based. Cuomo also complained that James's negative comments in the press about Cuomo were also unethical. Meanwhile, Charlotte Bennett, one of the women who accused Cuomo, has filed a lawsuit against him. Bennett was the accuser who Cuomo says was alleged to have made a false accusation while in college. According to Reuters, Bennett alleges that Cuomo subjected her to, quote, critical sex-based comments and humiliating assignments. The suit is seeking unspecified damages. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now, and I'm your host, Blake Matthews. Harmful algae blooms, or HAB, started to appear roughly six years ago in the Cayuga Lake, causing state agencies and community interest groups to take notice of them. WICB News correspondent Carolyn Grass spoke with Sally Summer, a retired educator who's a volunteer for the Community Science Institute, to learn more about how HABs are affecting the Ithaca community. Six counties are part of the Cayuga Lake watershed and over 120,000 people call the area home. The lake is the second largest of the 11 Finger Lakes and millions of dollars are generated through tourism and recreation in the area. So when harmful algal blooms or HABs started to appear roughly six years ago, state agencies, community interest groups, and organizations took notice. They've been closely monitoring the phenomenon to try to record when HABs appear in an effort to figure out why they happen and to keep people safe. Well, Having grown up on the lake, you're used to seeing uh, different types of grass and weeds, etc., floating on top of the water, roots. So you're, you're used to seeing that. But when you see an algae bloom, at first it can look like just little, little dots. But when you see a full-fledged bloom, it's like this layer of skim across the the water and sometimes it even has a almost a bluish glow to it it's very different than seeing grasses or, or weeds that was sally sumner a retired educator who became a volunteer for the community science institute in 2019 she tests the water weekly where she lives in inner lake in new york on the western side of cayuga lake to help provide up-to-date information for people to know if it is safe to swim or recreate in the water 
they ask that as a volunteer, you go out once a week, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, between the hours of 10 and 2, because that's the most likely time that you might get a bloom. So I do that, and most of the time, fortunately, there isn't a bloom, and they have a report that they ask us to fill out. Then on the occasions when there is a bloom, it might be happening during the time that I am just normally monitoring. But, you know, as these things go, it's more likely to happen outside of those hours. But the people on the beach know that I am a reporter, a volunteer, because I, you know, let them know that. So if they happen to go out and see something, you know, go for their afternoon swim, contacted me and Sure enough, I went out and looked, collect a sample. I take pictures of the bloom, how extensive I thought it was. Was it just a little one, a major one? After I collected the sample, I put it on ice and I drive it up uh, to Brown Road and, and drop it off so they can test it. Sumner is one of 88 volunteers that the Community Science Institute, or CSI, has for the Cayuga Lake Habs Monitoring Program. The CSI is a nonprofit organization that partners with volunteers in the Finger Lakes region, Upper Susquehanna Watershed, and across central New York to monitor water quality in order to better understand how to protect and manage natural resources in the area. Volunteers are able to cover over 45% of Kegu Lake's shorelines for the HABS monitoring program. The harmful algae blooms really started to crop up about uh, probably six or seven years ago, and, and what's really fascinating about them is that before that there really weren't harmful algae blooms being reported on any of the finger lakes and all of a sudden within about five years they started to show up on all of the finger lakes 11 finger lakes wide variety of situations and 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 characteristics of these lakes but harmful algae blooms reported on all of them we sat down together the community science institute and Kegel Lake Watershed Network and and, and and Discover Kegel Lake to figure out how we could combine efforts to really put together very quickly some sort of really effective monitoring process because this is a phenomenon we really don't understand. We don't know why harmful algorithms are happening. We don't know what's, what organisms are causing them specifically, or at least we did at that point. That was... My name is Bill Foster. I'm the executive director of Discover Cuyahoga Lake. We are a not-for-profit organization primarily focused on environmental education and providing access to Cuyahoga Lake for the local community. So education uh, and information sharing is, is our focus. The three nonprofit environmental organizations have been working together to monitor the lake for HABs, support local governments, and provide direct education and learning opportunities to community members. It started in 2018. And so that was kind of when there's a lot of increased scrutiny about the harmful algal blooms, especially in the Finger Lakes region. And so Governor Cuomo put together a whole plan to address them. And since Community Science Institute's mission is to empower communities to protect water, a lot of our programs kind of arose out of concern that we were hearing from locals. And so basically in response to a lot of local and statewide concern, my predecessor, Nate Lawner, helped to put together this program to monitor Cayuga Lake perhaps on a regular basis. That was Grace Haynes and I'm the Outreach and Programs Coordinator for the Community Science Institute. Habs occur when microscopic algae grows out of control. 
Algae blooms can be harmless, but sometimes bloom produce toxic chemicals that can have harmful effects on people, wildlife, and pets. It is unclear exactly what causes HABs to form from regular algae blooms. HABs are thought to have a higher likelihood of appearing after issues of slow water circulation, high water temperatures, and extreme weather like flooding. They are also associated with overfeeding, which happens when nutrients from agriculture and lawns flow into waterways and overfeed the algae that exists at normal levels in the body of water. Haynes said the CSI looks at samples under a microscope and explained what they are looking for to determine if a bloom is harmful. We just look at a drop of water from the bloom and we see what cyanobacteria are present. And so basically there are different genera of cyanobacteria and sometimes those can coincide with higher toxin levels. And so we're kind of interested in, in looking into long term what, what patterns emerge. So then the other analyses we do are we test it for chlorophyll A and that kind of gives us an indicator of how dense the bloom is. And then we look at microcystin toxin. And so basically different cyanobacteria can produce different chemicals and substances. Not all of them are harmful. But in the case of a harmful algal bloom, the cyanobacteria that we're looking for and the ones that we usually see can produce harmful toxins. So the toxin that we test for is called microcystin toxin and it's a liver toxin. Not finding high concentration of microcystin doesn't guarantee that a bloom is safe to swim in, but microcystin is the only toxin that we have a certified test for. So this test is kind of the best way that we have currently to gauge how toxic a bloom might be. And then we post all of those data points on our website and basically in real time so that then our volunteers can see what they collected, see kind of what we found in our analyses in the lab from the thing that they saw in the field. Um, so that also general members of the public can see where there might be blooms currently and how toxic those might be. Foster explained how a person cannot know if an algae bloom is producing the toxin that can be harmful without testing and said the most responsible thing to do when blooms are seen is to advise people not to go in water, which has an impact on tourism. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation recommends that it is best to avoid swimming, boating, recreating, or drinking the water when a bloom is present. At this point, we don't really know these algae blooms, and we see these blooms occurring. Um, they tend to run accordingly, you know, so we'll have the, the, the cyanobacteria that cause these blooms start to populate. Water will turn green. But they tend to run their course. This past year, they've, they've, they've passed, at least in the, in the southern end of Cougar Lake, very quickly. They've lingered longer. But we don't really know if there's long-term impact on other organisms at this point. Haynes said the CSI has seen a slight increase in the number of blooms in the four years of testing overall. But from last year to this year, the organization hasn't seen as many reports. Haynes said she doesn't know exactly why, but that it could be from the drought the region experienced this summer. Over the past few years, as far as overall number of blooms, we've definitely seen some increases. So far this year, we haven't seen as many halves reported as last year at this time, but those that we have had have been more toxic. It's interesting, given the fact that we've seen increases in the number of halves in previous years, but this year we're seeing fewer but we often see HABs form after a rain event, and because of the drought, there's been a lot less rain this year than in past years. And then as far as temporally, when they occur, we have seen that season starting to extend. The season still is defined by the Department of Environmental Conservation as ranging from June, I believe, through the end of September. 
but last year we saw a ton of blooms that were beginning um, to extend into October, and so we're still waiting to see that this year. But I think it's it's a safe bet that with climate change and with um, you know increasingly longer summers, there's a good likelihood that we'll continue to see blooms extending later into the fall season. In addition to testing samples, educating the public about the danger of HABs is another facet of the Cayuga Lake HABs monitoring program. Volunteer Sumner said that now locals in the area know her as a person that tests for HABs and will let her know if they see a bloom. Then that's the other thing I do is, you know, we try, if do suspect a bloom, we try to make sure that the neighborhood knows, look, there's a bloom going on. Don't, don't go in the water. Don't let your dogs in the water. Keep everybody safe that way. The regulars, I'll say, whether they live year-round on the lake or they have summer cottage that they own and come to on a regular basis, they're, I believe, for the most part, aware because of the different education things that have happened. But what you have to be careful of is the renters or the tourists, that they are also informed what this is and and why you might recommend them not to go in the water at certain times or not to let their dogs in the water. Discover Cayuga Lake has been running a floating classroom on a boat called the Teal out of the Allen H. Treeman Marina on Cayuga Inlet for the past 15 years. The boat takes about 1,500 students from surrounding schools and communities onto the lake every year. The boat is able to monitor the middle of the lake, where CSI volunteers monitor the shoreline. In addition to their monitoring, Foster talked about the importance of educating people about issues that apply to where they live. A lot of people grow up when they get environmental education classes and learn about about various issues. A lot of it doesn't really apply to where they live. And, And here in the Finger Lakes, for instance, we have an amazing water supply. We have a very special situation here. People around the globe would love to be where we are as far as water is concerned. And we don't really recognize what we have and we don't understand how these resources work and what they need to be sustained. So I think it's really critical to share that information with people, get people talking about it. This fall, October 18th, 2022, marks the 50th anniversary of the passage of the Clean Water Act. The Clean Water Act was legislation enacted to restore and clean America's waters as a response to concern for the environment. Haynes talked about how the work of the CSI fits into the goals of the act. The Clean Water Act has a huge emphasis on grassroots and community participation. And so I would say that our our testing and monitoring program fits right into that for two different reasons. So first, by engaging the local community members directly in data collection, we're giving them that much more familiarity with where that data comes from, hands-on understanding and experience in, in that data collection. When we publish the data that our volunteers collect, that gives people, even people who don't have the capacity to volunteer with us, they still have access to information readily available about where blooms are occurring, which cyanobacteria are present, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, it's really having that scientific literacy and that awareness of what's going on in your water and your watershed that gives us the ability to challenge poor practices in water management and stand up for clean water and restoration activities. Cayuga Lake isn't alone in experiencing HABs. The National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration asserts that every U.S. coastal and Great Lakes state experiences HABs and said they are a national concern because they harm the health of people and wildlife and the health of an economy. 
NOAA estimates that HABs caused roughly $82 million in economic losses in tourism, seafood, and restaurant industries each year. Volunteers will continue to monitor Cayuga Lake, and Haynes said they are always looking for new volunteers to expand the reach of the program. Sumner talked about her family's history in the area and explained why volunteering is so important to her. I am a lifelong resident of the general area, and my parents built their first cottage when I was probably five. They moved to the cottage that I now live in in 1960. So been here a long time, and just very important to me that the lake stay viable. Once I went through the training and realized what they were trying to do in terms of trying to monitor the lake and, and, you know, eventually maybe find a solution for this, I thought that was important because the lake is important to me personally as just a source of enjoyment and to our area as, you know, it's a source of drinking water for some communities. It's certainly a source of recreation for people who own cottages on the lake and or people who visit the numerous parks that are around the lake. It's in, it's very important to the economy of the region as a as a tourist destination. So it's really important that we try to protect it. And so when I went to the, the training, I thought, well, this is something, this isn't a big ask that they're asking of, of us. They're asking us to look at the lake once a week and be available to to take a a sample in if if we need to that's not a huge ask to return something to my community so that's why i do it for wicb news i'm caroline grass make sure to tune into part two of this story next sunday i'll be talking with more volunteers and taking a deeper dive into what may be causing harmful algae blooms That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud. And subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anytime, anywhere. Also subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jerry Menard, WICB Station Manager, Connor Hibbard, and Programming Director, Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Beck Legato with assistance from Managing Director Jordan Brooking with News Production Director Mbaini Abarasan and our web coordinator. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback? Story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.